welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany family and friends. Obviously, I am not one of your pastors. My name is Kevin, and I am here today um, to help us dive into a conversation about some things that have been happening in our world. So before we uh, get into the conversation, I wanna introduce um, people who don't really need an introduction, our elders who are gonna be leading us through how to biblically think about the events that have happened in our world over the past several weeks. Um, Of course, we have with us our founder and lead pastor, Dr. Eric Mason. Why don't you give it up? We can't hear you, but go ahead in the chat and give it up with your emojis and with your words. Um, We have with us our stewardship pastor, Pastor Nyron Burke. Give it up, give it up. I'm gonna give you all some time to type in there, find it in in your keyboard. And our family life pastor, Pastor Curtis Dunlap. Give it up for Pastor Kurt, everybody. So the conversation that we're gonna be having today um, is really focused on what I'm sure all of us have seen in the news, on social media, that's been happening in our government and politically in our world. Um, we just had this past week the inauguration of a new president and a new vice president, and that took place merely two weeks after an unprecedented attempt to overthrow our Congress. Um, it's something that none of us have ever witnessed in our country in our lifetimes. So we're grateful that our pastors um, have followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and decided to take time to help us develop and think through a biblical worldview of how to look at those events and how to think about politics and government and civics in general. So with that said, um, I want to just dive into the first question. We have kind of divided this talk up into five sections. And so the first thing that we want to do is kind of give a historic context to to the conversation. Um, The tension between the church and the state hasn't started just in the past four years or 100 years or since the United States has been in existence. This is an ongoing struggle. So could you give us, and whoever wants to jump in first, just give us um, a historic context to the struggle between church and state and kind of maybe start with, Constantine explaining who he is and what Constantinian Christianity is and what that has to do with what we're experiencing today. Um, Hey, everybody. Michelle, glad to be on here today. Um, So Constantinian Christianity, or what we now call Western Christianity, um, is what we mean by institutionalized Christianity. Some people in historical theology, which is the study of Christian history, call it Christendom. So you use you you hear that term used a lot, but Constantinian Christianity in three you know when uh, Constantine became uh, emperor of the empire, he ended up having a conversion. According to who you talk to, some people think he was converted. Some people didn't think he was converted. Either way, um, in the Edict of Milan in um, the early 300s, 312, I think, if I remember correctly, 312 uh, uh, AD, basically um, is when he stopped Christians from being uh, persecuted. And so that edict also led to him making Christianity uh, one of the, you know, major religions of the empire, if not the major religion of the empire. And so the empire's adopted religion. The problem with institutionalizing a a faith means that if you're born in that country, like when you have kids, they because it's a Christian country, they would view themselves as Christians without conversion. So then you, over time, it like everybody's a Christian. This is a Christian empire, and and, and those principles and, and there's good to it in the sense of you know layering Christian principles through some stuff. But then institutionalization begins to believe that if you fight against our empire, then you're fighting against God, particularly if we did something wrong as a people, then we're adding God to the equation of believing. What if you fight against our country, you're fighting against us. And so America, well, the Puritans actually took that on uh, the pilgrims, actually, when they came over and with slavery, they took that on as America being them coming here as now being 
they took on Constantinian Christianity as well in that. Yeah. What's uh, striking about it, Pastor E, I was reading um, Vince Bantu's book, uh, and I was struck by how immediate the uh, impact of the establishment of Christianity as a state religion mm -hmm. was on the church globally at the time. Yeah. Um, and there was a, I was looking at looking this up when we were preparing for this talk because I, I wanted to share this. Yeah. Because I was struck by this. And this is, y'all should get this book, uh, Vince Bantu, book. A Multitude of Very All Peoples. Book engaging Asian Christianity's global identity. But one of the things he talks about in the section where uh, Constantine kind of establishes uh, Christianity as a state religion, um, he says this um, in that section, he says, the association of the Christian religion with Roman civilization adversely disassociated non-Roman kingdoms with Christianity. And before that, he talked about how Christianity was all around the world. Um, and since Christians outside of the Roman Empire were soon seen not only as followers of Jesus, but also of the Roman Emperor. Mm. Despite the multi-ethnic and international presence of the universal church during the fourth century, uh, Eusebius presents the Christian faith as inextricably interwoven with the Roman Empire as his construction of Christian identity became foundational for subsequent Western iterations of church history down to the present day. Mm. So that's just a striking... Um, Very striking. Uh, section that when I read that I underlined that uh, because we have been dealing with the the impact of what Constantine did for 1700 years and continues today and you can see that idea uh, even in our current situation where the merger of state power with the theology with the role of the church becoming one thing creates massive problems uh, and I, I'm just, it, we have been dealing with this for so long that I think it's important for believers to realize that this is not a new issue. Absolutely. This didn't happen in 2016, right? This has been going on for a long time. And because it's been going on for so long, thankfully, uh, there are um, uh, ways in which a church has healthily reacted to this and unhealthy reacted to this that I think we can learn from and start to apply. But this is a long standing issue um, that believers have to confront and have confronted throughout history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, I think one of one of the unique elements of this conversation um, about how uh, Constantinian Christianity has uh, taken a particular effect for us today in America is, you know, it obviously had you, you have to insert that conversation of race mm -hmm. uh, because uh, nationalism you know, today has to do with that, what is a, a very recent construct of, of race and, and whiteness and, and what that means. And so I think a part of that conversation is, is even understanding the uniqueness of what, of how this looks for us here in America in a very particular way, um, because the state uh, is typically white uh, and it's meant to be that way. Uh, and so it, it's interesting even, you know, listening to uh, you quote from Vince Bantu's book uh, and, you know, having to recognize that if you don't look like the state, then you are perceived or assumed to be non-Christian and in need of um, evangelism. And then on the other side of that, there's an assumption that if you look like the state, that you are by default a Christian. Uh, so I think th those are some unique elements that, that have to be a part of the conversation when we talk about how it has somewhat evolved from the time of Constantine to the time of now. Man, it's so deep because if you think about the, the Crusades, you know, it, I mean, they really believed that they were on mission for God. Like, and when you can't, you had to, like, in you getting conquered, sharing the gospel with you was, you're Christian now, right? It's, it's like, yo, uh, what are we doing? You know, kind of thing. Like, what are we, you got your sword out? You can't do that. Like, what are you doing? You know, um, so, um, and so, and so, and then, but Europe, that's been a pervading reality for over a thousand years, and that spread to the Americas. And so now, you know, um, you know, um, uh, you know, it's a book by uh, Charles F. Kraft on missions and I want to get it right. And so it was basically the effect of, of that on how we did missions even, right? On Constantine Christianity and he talks about that and he begins to say um, white missionaries, and it's a white guy teaching, he says white missionaries begin to, to, to go to other places and say in order 
uh, to be evangelized, you had to be civilized. Mm -hmm. And to be civilized means to be Americanized. Yeah. And so, um, it's so, or Westernized. And so it's, it's crazy. Like in order for you, like forget about your language, you need to, and so that's, that's how dangerous it's become. And, and that is what, like we, we don't even realize um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have us actually do this. Um, we, um, the Albert Tatum put out a master class. I, I was one of the teachers in it. It's coming out next month, and I think we should all listen to it. The, uh, all the leaders, I, I'm gonna have us order it. But man, he said he made a crazy statement. He says racism has been discipled into all of us. Therefore, it has to be discipled out. And really, Constantinianism, Western Christianity imperialistic Christianity has literally been discipled into our spiritual and sociological and psychological DNA and we got to get it out so yeah yeah it's um reacting to kind of what you were both saying you said uh, you can't do that when you talked about with the guy with the sword um, but where do you get that from from the Bible <laughs> right and what's what's striking to me about this whole um, way of thinking is that it replaces core almost simplistic biblical assumptions about how we live, how we think, what makes you a Christian, with something else, yeah. with something that is so foreign to the true Christian faith that you can literally kill people and call it Christianity, right? You can conquer people and crush them and call it Christianity yeah. when Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So it, it's this, it, but yet call that Christian, right? But in what you're saying, I'm sorry to cut you off, no, go ahead. in what you're saying, Western Christianity made itself a New Testament Israel. Yes. So that they can yes, legalize yes, some yes, of their violence, yes, right? Yes, anyway, yes. I'm sorry, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but yeah. I, because I, I've been reflecting on how did it get this bad, right? I mean, I think even about the, the, the insurrection that, uh, that Kevin talked about, seeing people with Jesus flags, mm -hmm. there was a guy there with a cross. I mean, it, it was, it was um, striking how much Christian symbolism was there as they are literally just throwing Romans 13 out the window and, and doing an insurrection. And, and I'm like, how do you call that Christian? How do you play Christian music and bust down the window of, of the Capitol building? How do you do that? And I think it goes back to that, the same issue with the Crusades of these, this is Christianity in quotation marks, unmoored from the scriptures, right? It, there's a whole new, the, the, the enemy has so, he's a father of lies. Absolutely. And he has convinced people Christianity looks like this, and that does not come from here. Absolutely. And when you do that, you can get it with anything. Because now Christianity is a culture that has certain music, certain symbols, certain ways of doing things, even certain dress, certain stores that you go to, and it's not actually based on the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is the corrective for it, is we gotta get back to Christianity comes from this, and it doesn't matter what you think it is, mm -hmm. that God is the one that, that founded the faith and establishes the faith. He's the one who builds the church. And we don't get to just make up what we want to do. We got to follow the Lord. Um, because I think that, that to me is like, how do we fix this? I think we got to get back to the Bible. I, I know we got to move on to the next topic. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you, you, it's, it's interesting because as, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking even about on the other side of that conversation, the effect of, of being a community of people that have experienced the, the side of somewhat being oppressed or and even somewhat conquered and, and the thought that, you know, the misnomer that you can conquer somebody into Christianity. Right. But but that's one of the accusations from our own community Absolutely. towards black Absolutely. Christians is that we've been brainwashed into believing Christianity. But if they knew the truth about the authentic faith of Christ, which is by faith alone, through grace alone and Christ alone, then you would know that it's not possible to be brainwashed and be authentically Christian. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think even even Fre Frederick Douglass in his autobiography makes mention of this when he makes the distinction between the slaveholders Christianity and the true, genuine Judeo-Christian Christianity. And he, he says that, like, like, I know that that is not true Christianity. Right. And so it's clear, like even the slaves or, uh, you know, our early you know ancestors in this country, they were aware of the distinct differences that existed between what they were being pushed, what was being pushed on them and, and what they actually held as central to the core of their faith. That's good. So I wish we could stay there because there's so much to unpack, but that's what we got a comment section for. So ask your questions. Like, let's continue this conversation beyond just just 
this moment right now. But for the sake of time, I want to ask two kind of rapid fire questions um, and just get a one word response on each of these. So just to be clear for everybody who's watching and hearing this conversation thus far, is the merger of the state and the faith, is it beneficial or problematic? Yeah, it's problematic because the Bible assumes, you know, it assumes that the two are separate. That's why you have, you know, Romans 13, first, uh, you know, Peter 2, 14 through 17. And um, it's another passage. It just was on my mind. Oh, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, you have, uh, yeah, I mean, Titus 3, 1 through 3. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly problematic. Problematic. Oh, you, you want me to say it too? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we got to say it once for the father, once for the son, once for the father. Amen. Pro problematic. So, okay. And, the, and then the other question is, again, this may be obvious, but I think it, it's worth saying. Is the United States a Christian nation? You want a one word answer? I, 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 short, short answer is no, but it, it, never, it never was. It's this. It's deists, like locking them were deists. They weren't, they, you know, deism is the belief that God exists. He created the world, but he abandoned it. It's up to us to do do whatever, you know. So it's, it's and I mean, you can read, you can read, you can read them and tell. Yeah, Not that it doesn't have Christian principles in places, but nah. I, I was about to say that's it's, it's obvious from their writings, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, go ahead. Well, um, no. Right. But I think even the idea of Christian nation is connected to the first conversation around Constantinian Christianity, the merger of, of state and, um, and the faith, which, which uh, interestingly enough is more, was very common, right? So prior to Constantine, you had the cult of the emperor, which was part of the faith of the Roman Empire, that they, uh, they uh, allowed different religions, but everybody had to participate in the cult of the emperor. Right. And, and, and similarly, in, um, throughout ancient history, you had kind of the state religions, right? Why did Nebuchadnezzar establish an idol that everybody had to bow down to? Because that was part of your loyalty to him, right? Was the way that you worshiped was part of your loyalty to him. So that's not a new idea, but Christianity is not that. Right there is a there is a, a distinction between those two um, that has to continue all the way through. But so the, the, even the idea of a Christian nation is like an ancient wrong, right? Um, in, in terms of that state religious uh, merger that you see with Nebuchadnezzar in, in Babylon. But I, I uh, my, my wife is a, um, a sociologist, and I was reading one of her books. Um, it's called The Churching of America. And when we uh, a very another good book to, to take a look at, and it has um, uh, a section by Fink and Stark, very famous book, and one of the things that they talk about is this very question around um, the sort of Christian America, and they they completely uh, from the data just uh, just make that um, rather silly, and it is an interesting quote here. It says, uh, Americans are burdened with more nostalgic illusions mm. about the colonial era than about any other period in their history. Mm. Our conceptions of the time are dominated by a few powerful illustrations of pilgrim scenes that most people over 40 stared at year after year on classroom walls. The baptism of Pocahontas, the pilgrims walking through the woods to church, and the first Thanksgiving. Had these classroom walls also been graced with colonial scenes of drunken revelry, and barroom brawling of women in risque ball gowns of gamblers and rakes, a better balance might have been struck. And the reason why they say that is that they go through and again, you know, check out the book. They go through and talk about the sociology of frontiers, uh, and they make the point that just like the Wild West with its frontiers, where it was kind of a crazy, unchurched, wild area, that the colonial period was the same. The frontier was there; it was in the colonies, yeah. right? And so they they go through and you can look at the data of that a significant portion of the colonists were former prisoners and people who had debts and people who had issues. It was a heavily male time. There were 70% of the population was male. They were younger. There weren't very many um, uh, established families there. Only about 20% of the people were actually in church. Uh, so th there's lots of data that indicates that, that the environment was not a quote Christian environment. Uh, there were areas like where the Puritans were, but even then in, in, the, in the heavily Puritan areas, 
the, the, the population in general was not churched, right? And so we have an, uh, a picture of the colonial era as being sort of this Christian paradise, and that's just not true. Um, that it was more like the Wild West. Uh, we, we, we have a, a little bit more uh, accurate perspe- perception of that as being kind of crazy. And that's kind of how the colonial era was. And that's, that's the founding era around 1776 was very much a frontier, kind of a wild, um, unchurched uh, um, kind of uh, environment. And that's, that, that's the origin of America, right? All those founding documents, all those incidents came from that kind of environment. Uh, and that is... Um, that's just reality. You can go look it up, right? You can read the documents, you can see the data. Um, but we have this, I think that because of this Christian nation idea that goes all the way back to Constantine, we, we recreate history to look different um, because it, maybe it's comforting, I'm not sure why, but we, we, we do that. We've reinvented what that actually was about. And even if we view that as true, like say we, we say it was a Christian nation, like the, like the enlightenment in the age of reason absolutely decimated the idea, like it, we're still affected by the enlightenment so. and the age of reason, like to this day, like Slymarker and his philosophy, you know, the father of modern day liberalism, like it's weaved into every layer of society. Uh, like we don't realize like the lie of the Christian narrative, racism, reason, all of that stuff is weaved into the DNA mm-hmm. of American culture in ways that we don't, we're so, um, socialized in it that we don't even realize how it's an automatic disposition of how we make decisions, how we think. And it's stuff that's got to be discipled out of us, man. Wow. wow. Yeah. So we have this problematic false view of America as a Christian nation, which it's not, um, but people believe that it is. And so now we come to 2021 and we've got this dynamic in our culture called Christian nationalism. Can you help us understand what that is? What is this term that we keep hearing on CNN and MSNBC and Fox called Christian nationalism? I'm I'm gonna let them go first, but I do wanna say say one thing. I think we mistake Christian friendly for Christian country. Mm. There was at one point where America was Christianity friendly, right? But we mistaken that for Christian, uh, you know, being a Christian nation. But uh, why don't y'all dive into that first? I don't, I don't know if I have so much of a definition for Christian nationalism. Um, but, but there seems to be this infatuation with, um, uh, again, going back to, you know, the nation being a Christian nation and also the power of the military that go hand in hand. Um, and this, this love for uh, the, the military and being Christian almost kind of uh, creates this, this sort of environment and culture um, where, you know, if, if you're not Christian and if you critique uh, the state, the military, um, our public servants like police officers in any form or fashion, uh, and if you are not white, then you are the enemy in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I think it's, I, I think there's this, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it breeds a culture again where, you know, if, if you're not white Christian and connected to the military somewhere, you're an outsider. Uh, and, and that's not even just for us as a minority community, because I, I, for a long time that was women as well. Uh, and so, uh, which I think that, that's, you know, that's a part, of, that's a whole nother part of the conversation. Yeah. So I, I don't have as much of a definition as I do. Like there are certain, uh, there are certain like key elements that are like, when you hear Christian nationalism, there's the flag, right? I mean, we, we had that whole, you two two to four year span around Colin Kaepernick and what was meant by kneeling uh, at, during the national anthem. So there's the flag. There's there's uh, the connection between the flag and the military uh, and Christianity and all of those things kind of come as a package. Uh, and if anything is missing from that package, uh, then you are considered an outsider or an enemy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good definition. I've seen um, uh, some 
family members have sent me some stuff of um, uh, prominent Christian nationalists, and I've, I've watched it just so I could know what they were what they were saying. And it's very hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what they mean because they're, they're a little bit all over the place. Um, I, I would say I totally agree with, with, with Pastor uh, Kurt in terms of there is a, a kind of um, almost unhealthy patriotism because there, there's a healthy patriotism, right? I would consider myself a patriot. I love my country. I care about what, I don't want anybody to, to hurt the U.S., right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, uh, Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was proud about being a Jew, right? Nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it's good to love your nation and the people around you. That, that's fine. But there is a, I think, part of Christian nationalism in terms of what I've seen um, is that there is a level of patriotism that would probably be called jingoism, um, where it, it's sort of almost idolatrous, where there is a, a level of um, America has this sort of divine role to play, um, and and we and so it's not that I just love my country, yes, yes. but that my country is is special, not just in terms of it's more powerful or it's more free or those kind of things, or you know we have better food or whatever, right? But that my country has a divine mandate, and I have a role to play as a believer in fulfilling that divine mandate, and if I don't do that or you don't do that, fellow Christian, you are falling short of what it means to be a believer. And so there is this, this kind of, again, unhealthy, and I wanna, I wanna separate sort of this normal, I care about my city and my, my country, patriotism, from this sort of, what I would call idolatry, right? Where you're, you're it's almost worshipful. Um, and that, that then tends to blind you to being able to critique the nation or to critique the policies. Because if I do that, it's kind of like I'm coming against the prophet of God. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is just, it's a, you're just a sinful people like any other sinful people. We have issues. Um, and then, and then, so I think that for me is, is what I've seen, right? It's sort of this divine mandate aspect. Um, and, and, and trying to call people to be part of this divine mandate, um, particularly through um, politics and politicking, uh, where then that, that, that becomes more than just your role as a citizen, it becomes again part of your faith to do that in a certain way. That's how I've seen it. Yeah, I don't think I can say anything much better than they've said about the idea of Christian nationalism. But I can always, like, I grew up in D.C., so, you know, growing, I grew up around black people, I went to school with black people, I went to HBCU, and so when I went to Texas, like I, I was, and not everybody was like this, but I, I felt something different there. And it was what we're calling Christian. Like, I believe that Texas is like the Christian nationalism state of the, the union. Um, Cause you can really, really feel it. Even in, you know, the whole pride of being a Texan. I don't even, like y'all probably, I don't even know if y'all can really relate to this. People that have been to Texas or from Texas really understand what I'm saying. But um, yeah, that, that idea of Christian nationalism, I think it's not monolithic, but it, there, there are aspects of it that can be traced through everything. I mean, pretty much, I'm a Christian, I go to a conservative, a conservative church that aligns itself with Republican politics, with pro-life. You know, um, it, you know, there's a there's kind of like this list that kind of goes with, you know, Christian nationalism. And so if you if you vote Democratic, you know, the, that that's 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 not Christian. Like um, if you're not Republican, even if you're bipartisan, um, you're viewed as an not Christian. It's, it's really weird to me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even making sense, but it's just these identifiers that I've noticed that go with, you you know, being uh, a Christian nationalist. Um, I, to, to, to your point, I think uh, I, I think that's a what, what you bring up kind of lends itself to uh, something that uh, Amy Shermer said in her in her book, Kingdom Calling, and she talks about just um, the the narrow gospel focusedness of evangelicalism mm, 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 mm. Uh, where mm. uh, the gospel has been boiled down primarily to soul winning absolutely but not to the holistic ministry of Jesus absolutely and so the focus is on helping you to understand what you've been saved from 
but not helping you to walk in what you've been saved for right now or two mm-hmm. right uh and so i i think that that kind of that that kind of even sums up your point of sort of even some of the political leanings uh you know which which are typically centered around abortion and um and gay rights and religious liberty and religious liberty yeah, that's right a big one. and but <laughs> but if if there's any other issue outside of those few issues mm-hmm. then it's almost like a a, a, a non-matter uh, and, and so it, it really does show uh, and reveal the shallowness of um, and lack of depth in terms of understanding all of the word of God. Yeah. Yeah, with, with you saying that, that's why when you mentioned social justice to a Christian nationalist, they repel it because they don't have a theological framework for why social justice matters. So they'll throw things in there like, you know, your CRT or your Marxist, which we're gonna do a series on this stuff um, in the sense of dealing with it because they have to put it in some type of framework in order for it, if it doesn't fit in the desk, it's obviously not a biblical thing. And so what ends up happening is they have to put in that category. And so they always have to demonize anything that doesn't fit their narrative because they believe theology, sociology, psychology, science, and everything has to come from their version of the Christian worldview. And so when you infringe upon that by saying, no, the gospel speaks to every area of life, they will agree with that until you begin saying, well, it, well, well, it impacts how we relate to each other. Yes, we agree with that, but what race? And then you begin going like, see, no, see, and, and because when you, talk, when you talk about systemic racism to a nationalist, they view you as coming against nationalism. That, that, like that's very, very important. They, they don't view you coming up against, because if you're talking about, if you're saying the way the system works because Christian nationalists put it in place. When you come against that system, that means you're coming against my money, mm-hmm. you're coming against my future, you're coming against a bunch of things. So anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is striking that, I think, and this is the bondage of Christianity being defined by your subculture. Absolutely. Then being defined by the word of God. Absolutely. Right? That, that, I mean, I love that. Um, that scene um, in Acts with the Bereans, mm-hmm. right, where they had a culture, but they were so, which was, which was not Christian, mm-hmm. but they were so committed to the word of God that they were willing to look. Let's take a hard, deep look yeah. and see what the word of God says and have that changed away that we think um, culturally, mm-hmm. right? And I think that is the, the resistance that we run up against is, because the, it's defined by this culture, this political, social, economic culture that is going on for a long time, that people, people, they don't even take the time. They assume that the culture is Christian, right? They assume that it's right. And so if you come against, say, hey, what about these verses? That, well, you, you must be seeing that wrong. Or that you, you, you're, it was funny, I remember you saying a couple of years ago, we had never heard of CRT. Never heard of it. (laughs) But then all of a sudden we're being accused of being proponents of CRT. And I'm yeah, Jesus, yeah. But she, I I never heard her say the phrase. Right, 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 right. right. (laughs) But we've been talking about justice for a long time, and all of a sudden we are like, what is CRT? Like I had to ask one of my um, conservative friends, like, what is that? Like they had to send me articles on what it was. Right, but yet we're being accused of the epiphany of being proponents of CRT. But, but with the, where does that come from, right? Because it, it, they have to find a way to define, like wait, this can't be biblical. So I gotta figure out some other source for it. But why don't you just take the time and look and right. see if it is biblical? Right, right. So let's shift gears a little bit, still in the mindset of the impact of Christian nationalism. But January 6th, we turn on television and we see um, the Capitol is being attacked. Um, supporters of the outgoing president, the president at that time, um, attacked the Capitol, broke in um, after attending a rally where he and other leaders used a lot of incendiary language, encouraging them to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw people defecating in the Capitol building, chanting chanting that they wanted to kill the vice president. going and stealing documents. Um, 
and wow. and we saw a lot of Christian symbolism yeah. on display. So would you say um, that what we saw on January 6th is a fruit of Christian nationalism in the United States? Wow. Wow. I'm just still meditating on all of the things you just said <laughs> before I even get to the question. Um, of course, I think I don't I wouldn't say everybody. I don't know if I could say that everybody there would view themselves as a Christian. But I think that it's safe to say a significant number of them would have identified with Christianity as an institution that they're a part of. Um, and so, yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's deep. Y'all still thinking? <laughs> I didn't know they defecated. Dang. Well, so this this may not answer the question, but but it's where my mind went as I watched all of this unfold, um, literally right before our eyes. Right? Is you know I, I've been working my way through the book of Isaiah, and um, and in chapter one, you know God God says, "What are all your sacrifices to me?" I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I'm tired of putting up with them. And he says, stop doing evil and learn to do what is good. But, but then in, in, uh, in chapter 29, he sums up basically why, why he's been dealing with the people through this entire book. And, and he says this in 29, 13, he says, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with their lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. Yes. And, and for me, watching this on display, I couldn't help but think of all of the religious activity involved, all of the religious symbolism involved, and yet to see activity and behavior and speech that is so contrary from the gospel, and, and just feeling God's heart, what he says here, man, I see your services, I see your banners and your speech, but your hearts are far from me. And so I, 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 that may not answer the question, but that's immediately where my mind went was to the hypocrisy of Christian behavior not tied to a heart for God. Like, and then, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, if I, if, I can, if, if I can also just be petty real quick. I was also wondering where the Blue Lives Matter protesters were during this time. Because it seemed like this would be a perfect opportunity to be present. I wish we had an organ. Yeah, right. And what's interesting, and I'm kind of answering the question, or maybe not, we don't realize how colonized Christianity is in the West. Um, um, that's what Christian nationalism is, a form of colonized Christianity. It's, it's Christianity that's localized to a particular form that's disconnected from biblical and Christian. It's really cultural Christianity. You know, I was talking to a mentor this week and we were thinking about it and um, we talking about Ephesians 2, for instance, 14 to the end of the chapter. Yeah. And a lot of people use that for racism, but that text has nothing to do with race in the, in the, in the, in the westernized sense. It's actually the dividing wall that was between the Jew and the Gentile was actually the, the, the divide between the court of the Gentiles and the Jews. And that dividing wall was covenantal, not racial, yes. per se. Yes. And so the, divide, the breaking down of the dividing wall, if you, if you call the dividing wall a racial barrier, then you're calling God a racist. And so the dividing wall was, 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 and so Israel's role was to bring um, the nations to Yahweh, yes. but they failed at that. And so Jesus became the true Israel. On the cross, he died and broke down the dividing wall, making, pe uh, making all, pe uh, through, uh, you know, all people a people, right? And so in light of that reality, we don't realize that in our colonized theology, we've made whites the Jews and blacks the Gentiles. Right. You know, and, 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 and which we're the unclean ones, they're the clean ones that we need to come into community with. And so it's, it's just, I mean, and I'm saying that to say even back to the effects of Christian nationalism on everything is, man, everything in Western colonized Christianity 
is fully white. And we have to be like disciple again, I'm using the word again. We have to be discipled out of that stuff, man. Yeah. 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 So you kind of started to address this, but how should we view the seemingly unyielding celebration of Donald Trump among some, I would say among many white evangelicals? Mm. Say, ask it again. How do we what? How do we view biblically the unyielding celebration of Trump? What do we make of that? He said it. Idolatry. You know, um, when Clinton um, had the Monica Lewinsky scandal, evangelicals was railing on character and leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were going, uh, going in. in. I mean, when I say going in, I mean they were calling for his impeachment, everything. And now with with um, the former president, you know, now it's like, well, the prince, what they were fighting for matters, not character. It's like, wow. Like, and so I think I, I, what, what, what is concerning to me is, is that all Christianity in the West is viewed as that Christianity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Pastor. Now you want yes. to say something? <laughs> that, that, that for me is like, a three alarm fire <laughs> seriously mm-hmm. because when i um uh i grew up in the dc area and um i was so hurt seeing those images i used to go down the capitol building just hang out for fun mm-hmm. and um i have a friend a dear friend of mine um who's not a christian we've talked about christianity for years and i was particularly hurt seeing the images of the capitol but i was also hurt thinking what is he thinking what is he thinking in terms of because he's not a christian he doesn't but he's looking at his tv screen like i'm looking at my tv screen and seeing the jesus flag with that right what 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 like it's hard enough just to try to explain and go through all the historical issues now we got another one to try to work through as another barrier to the faith Mm. right um and that that is the thing that bothers me the most um it, that bothers me the most that there is now a, a image or, or actually not now there is a furtherance of a great lie about what the faith really is and i i think of, of acts how uh the early believers had a good reputation mm-hmm. it said right um that the the jews might be like i don't agree with you but i respect you right mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like there there should be something about the faith that is commendable yeah right uh, and that's not commendable uh, in any um, in any way. Um, and I, I think that the um, saw some statistics actually that prior to the 2016 election, uh, evangelicals were the group in the country most likely to say that character is important. And right after the 2016 election, they had been the they were the group that had the vowed at the lowest in surveys. And so you had a group of people wow. who literally changed. What, what should have been considered core beliefs because it was politically inconvenient. Policy, right. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, like, what does that say about who you are, right? What does that say about your integrity? Um, what does that say about your character? What does it say about your commitment to Jesus, right? Yeah. If you are willing to sort of just move, like, toss to and fro by every wind of doctrine, yeah. right? Um, in this case, a political doctrine. Um, and so I, I think it, it, it for me, and, and my wife talks about it all the time, that we think there are more Christians in the country than there actually are. There is a whole lot of, 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 of tares <laughs> among the wheat. Um, and I think if you are that easily swayed, um, then I think you really got to check yourself. Yeah. Right? Where are my loyalties? Mm. Uh, if I'm willing to compromise my core moral principles... Uh, because it's politically inconvenient. I mean, if, if if that's all it takes, you ain't gonna hold up on the persecution. No sir. Mm-mm. Right? If that's if that's all it takes, right? Um, I mean, I think of the devil offering Christ. You know, I will give you all these kingdoms if you bow down and worship me, right? Uh, and, and I think a lot of Western Christianity has been like, where do I sign? You give me power. You give me comfort. You make sure I have certain liberties. Right. And I'll exchange my witness. Where do I sign? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 
I may be making an assumption here, um, but but as even as you talk about um, the integrity of the church, right, and the 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 witness of the church, like to be well thought of by outsiders, mm-hmm. right? I I get the sense that for most white evangelicals, um, they don't really care because they've been insulated in the world of white nationalism and white evangelicalism that they've been discipled as right. Mm. Right theologically, right socially, right politically. So if the world says that you're wrong, what does it matter if you feel like you have a divine purpose to save the heathen who doesn't know any better? Now, and that could that could be an assumption, and I could, I could be wildly it could be wildly inaccurate, but sometimes that's the perception. Yeah. Does it does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. I, I think I'm trying and I'm trying to think to the people I, I've had conversations with, and I, I, I don't mean that to be holistic. Yeah, I know yeah that's, sure, I, sure. I know that's not you know I know I'm painting with a wide brush here. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think there's a there's an element to that, and some of the folks I've talked to, some of the folks I've talked to are just horrified, right? And some I, I've spoken to. Um, I would say I think you're onto something in the sense that they view and it's kind of like the, when you critique the country in the same right, way right. that they view criticism because we are supposed to be willing to persevere through criticism through persecution etc right but but because the faith is merged with a kind of political identity yeah. that if you critique the political side or the um, the, the behavior, yeah. right? They, they see that as if you're critiquing their belief in the gospel. And I, that's Absolutely. not what we're saying, right? Yeah. We, we are Orthodox Christians, right? To, to your point earlier, through Christ alone, right? That Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised and dead on the third day, right? First Corinthians 13, um, that, that we, we, we hold to, um, or 15 rather, we, we hold to the gospel, right? But I can t- tell you that racism is a real thing, right? And you shouldn't respond to that as if I just said Jesus isn't God, right? Like, like what's going on there, yeah. right? Like, this is a, this is a, we can talk about these things right. as separate. So I think it's right. the I think you're onto something in terms of there is this assumption of rightness, assumption of um, of this is correct, this is the right way, which we should hold to if it comes out of this, right. um, where I need where there is a defensiveness almost. Mm. Um, versus a sort of willingness to listen and think and, and say, okay, if we change this aspect of America, yeah. the faith isn't being threatened. Right. It has nothing to do with the faith. Are we talking about policies? I don't. I don't yeah. think um, most Christians in America are going to be okay when America loses its power hmm. base in the world. I think they're going to rethink their entire existence hmm. because I think, you know, um, we, we're used to kind of America being that that spot, you know, but I think it's going to be because it's going to happen. Every mm-hmm. every major world power that becomes a Babylon, God overthrows. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's just biblical history. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go from you go from Pharaoh to Rome, fam. It's it's gonna happen. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like it's 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 gonna happen. The question is, will your faith be sufficient if that happens? And then on the other side, let's stop. Like, I think we spend a lot of time on white perception. Now, like, how are we going to rebrand Christianity to people? for the purpose of gospel mission. Yeah. Like in order for the, like, like we, we can't, people can't perceive the gospel, us sharing Jesus with them as bringing them into being colonized by whiteness, yeah. right? We like, they have to like, they have to view Christianity as the most liberating thing that it could ever be. Right. Like if we're gonna minister in these streets, 
Like we're going to minister in our community and see lives go from spiritual disconnection to connection. They have to have a different perception of the faith. And we have to work very, very hard to make sure that they know that they're coming into freedom, not into bondage. So, yeah. And I'm so encouraged, Pastor E, because there's a history of black folk doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I was so struck reading um, Slave Religion mm-hmm. where the slaves. Yeah, good book. The slaves are worshiping Jesus and they are doing theology and preaching the gospel and they understand that, to your point earlier, what y'all talking about is not what's in here. And and most of them couldn't read. A lot of the slave preachers memorized scripture. Mm -hmm. But they had, simply by memorizing scripture, by sharing little snippets of verses, they got a different theology, a different perception, a more accurate perception Mm -hmm of the true faith. I think part of that was the Holy Spirit too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. All of it was the Holy Spirit because yeah. I don't know how they, they, they persevered underneath that but I, I'm encouraged that Christ continues to build his church mm-hmm. in the worst situations and we're not in the worst but it, it does feel insurmountable sometimes. Absolutely. Um, the perceptions and the mess and the hypocrisy um, but I'm encouraged that, that if you look at the black church it's just such a legacy of the true during, gospel doing work um, in the midst of some dark days, mm-hmm. right? Civil rights era as well. You see the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of on the other side, um, we just seen a new administration take office. Um, a lot of people are excited. They're excited to see the old administration go. They're excited because we now have our first woman and first African-American um, and first Asian-American vice president. Um, but there are also a lot Jamaican of- Jamaican too. Uh, yeah. Thank you, I forgot. For, and for first Jamaican <laughs> vice president. Come um, on, Rep Jamaica Doc. So first, first daughter of immigrant vice president. And at the same time, a lot of people who are excited about that are also feeling conflicted because they don't necessarily agree with this administration's views on certain issues like abortion or same-sex marriage or criminal justice. So how do we balance that tension and how do we guard our hearts against looking for this administration or any part of our government to solve all our problems it's really easy like man i mean it's so like the bible is makes it easy like i can like let's just let's lay this out (laughs) they had caesar nero (laughs) like they had pharaoh Nebuchadnezzar, like Artaxerxes, like these are, like these are animal leaders. Like we, like we, and they were, and Christians were able to be faithful to the state until it conflicted with their faith. Like no, like really, it doesn't matter who's the leader for the most part. Like, like as bad as Trump was, he wasn't Nebuchadnezzar or Nero. Like. And, um, and I'm not affirming him either, you know. Um, and so for, for, for us, um, we, we the, you know, Titus 3 tells us serve our country. Serve it. So be servants of the city, right? Um, uh, Romans 13 says submit to government. The beautiful thing about being American, though, is that our country, unlike uh, a totalitarian government or uh, an absolute monarchy, um, it it has amendments in it and laws in it that allow for me to protest without my life being in danger, right? And so I think that those types of things is where the Bible and our, our context meets, where we're able to speak to things and not, you know, our life not being, it's not going to always be like that based on what the scriptures say, but I think that that's what makes it easy for us as Christians. We, like, I don't have to monolithically agree. What what Christian agreed with Nero? Like, uh, I mean, who? What like Constantine and uh, Diocletian? Jesus, help me! Like these, like do, like we need to really like do a historical study of the type of leaders that Christians have lived under and been biblical Christians and met government faithfully where it didn't conflict with scripture and that's that's what we do yeah you, you know what's interesting about that as you as you walk through sort of this historical picture of all these various different governments that we've been under is uh, i i could have sworn 
that, that, that God told the people while they were in exile, mind you, to seek the peace of the city. Absolutely. For in your flourishing, the city would flourish. Yeah. And he's talking about a non-Jewish, non-covenantal people city. Yeah. Right? And so if, if, if that's how we're to live, if, that, if that's how God's people were to live in exile in a foreign city, yeah. how much more when we have the, uh, the freedoms and the opportunities uh, to, uh, to live in a democratic society where we can vote and where we can have some say, how much more are we supposed to adhere to that, that type of command to seek the peace of the city for in, the, in our good. flourishing, good. the yeah. city would flourish, Absolutely. right? And so I, I think even, even like to your point that, that there's, there's never good. gonna be a time where we fully agree with anybody's like full full political view like politics is too nuanced for that right even even as a even as a, an elected official it's rare that you fully fall on either side of the aisle right and so i i think i think you know there there's a there is a certain level of discernment as christians that we use in a voting process where we take into account leadership we take into account character. We do take into account certain political views, uh, but to to assume that one particular um, person is going to uh, is going to have absolute agreement with you, or you're going to have absolutely agreement with them, I think is is extremely narrow minded. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to be. Um, um, Hebrews talks about that we are those who seek a better country. Um, and the beauty of that scripture is that it assume, is that it's timeless, that regardless of what your country is or your political situation, leaders you're living under, um, that we, we, we have a, an earthly citizenship, but we also have a, a, a primary um, uh, for fundamental citizenship that is in heaven, that is that we are seated with Christ, that there is a, an aspect to us that... Um, uh, in the world, but not of the world, that we are um, salt and light. There's this element that we are we are not part of the world, that we're in it, we're affecting it, uh, we're missionaries, we're ambassadors. Like all that language throughout the scripture is of the, like I love ambassador, because it's, you're coming from somewhere else, but you're, you're, you are yeah. speaking on behalf of where you're coming from, right? And you're witnessing to this new place. Right, and you're representing something greater. And I think if we can hold fast to that idea that we are representatives, ambassadors to Democrats, Republicans, liberals, whoever you are, whatever your lifestyle, whatever your beliefs, my role, our role is to represent Christ to you, yeah. right? And, and, and that doesn't change who, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican or whoever, our role is to represent Christ. And if we can do that consistently yes. and preach the gospel, love our neighbors, do justice, walk with our God, all this stuff the Bible talks about, we, are, we will be okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that's what we have to hold. Like we don't change based on what happens politically. Yeah. Wow, great, so our time is gone. Um, I think the only thing left to say is what what do we as the church, particularly as um, predominantly African-American churches, what do we need to do? I think it's being done. I think we're being a prophetic voice um, based on uh, Isaiah uh, 117, being a prophetic voice, speaking truth, the power, the oppressor, uh, based on uh, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. So I, I think we're already doing that. And I think with the, we need to return to the legacy of building institutions in the black community that help benefit the black community um, in, in a way that um, still is faithful to both proclamation and practice of the gospel. You know, one of our mantras here is Titus 3.14, let us learn to meet pressing needs in order that we may not be found unfruitful. Yeah. And before that, you know, it talks about preaching the gospel to the city. And so that's what we do. We, we, we proclaim the gospel and we practice the gospel. So I think we can end on that one. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yeah. cool. Amen. Thanks, thanks for hosting, man. No problem. Well, we thank everybody for joining us for this conversation. Um, we hope that you benefited from it, that you'll go back and rewatch it, that you'll share it with others, and that you'll continue this conversation, really seek the scripture, pray, get up with other believers, and really think through how we look at our world through a biblical worldview. Um, now, you know, we're going to close it down. I just want to ask Pastor if you would close this out in prayer. Let's and do that. We'll move on.
Let's do that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to our people, your people, about uh, the trajectory of of the church and our country. God, give us wisdom as we seek to be a peaceful community in our community, to see lives go from spiritual death to spiritual life, spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, and uh, launching into every area of life being impacted by the gospel for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. See you next week, hopefully. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.